If you have your Bibles with you, let's open up to the book of Mark. We're continuing in the book of Mark. Um, if you don't have a Bible, you should see one in the pew back in front of you. We would encourage you to open that one up with us. The Word of God is so precious to us. Uh, faith comes from hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Let's open our word, the Word of God together and let's read in Mark. Okay. Let's read in the book of Mark together. Um, a little bit of a roadmap for moving ahead. Um, God willing, we will be uh, we'll be two weeks out of Mark. The next two weeks, we'll be doing some Christmas uh, Christmas studies uh, together, and so that will be fun. And then we will, if memory serves, we'll be back in the Book of Mark for one more week to kind of finish out uh, this section, this first section of Mark, and then we are going to go, God willing, to the Book of Ecclesiastes together. We're going to take a look at the book of Ecclesiastes. So that will be interesting and beneficial. Um, okay. The book of Mark. Um, the book of Mark. So, what this section in Mark is all about, these last, this last chapter and a half, has been Mark's attempt to show us that the person of Jesus Christ has come to do battle against all of humanity's worst enemies. If you'll remember, a few weeks ago, we saw Jesus come and do battle against the forces of nature. Do you remember this? They're in a boat crossing the Sea of Galilee. This humongous storm tossed them to and fro. The expert sailors are out of their mind terrified. They shake Jesus awake and say, Jesus, don't you care if we die? And what does Jesus do? Peace be still. Jesus muzzles the sea and the wind. Then we saw Jesus make landfall. And we see the enemies of humanity, the enemy of God. We see a man being totally controlled by an army of demons. And we see that this man who people could not tie with ropes, people could not chain him up to control him. He was filled with evil. He was filled with evil spirits. And the man that no one could control, Jesus controls with his Word. Jesus has come to do battle against our worst enemies. Now, we might be thinking, forces of nature, they're not that big of a deal to me. The worst force of nature I was uh, involved with, when we lived in California, we experienced one earthquake. It was in the middle of the night, Boy and a girl from the Midwest didn't know what was going on. We were sleeping right next to these big giant windows. And I woke up to this, the windows crashing back and forth. I thought somebody was busting in. I go, Mallory, it's okay, it's okay. I grabbed my baseball bat. And I'm walking around the outside of our house saying, who was that? And Mallory goes, come back to bed. That was an earthquake. So that was my one experience with the forces of nature. So my life, forces of nature, doesn't seem like that big of an enemy. Demonic influence in my life doesn't seem like that big of an enemy. Haven't experienced that. But today, we're going to discuss Jesus' battle 
with perhaps our greatest enemy. You might be able to go your whole life without experiencing the forces of nature as an enemy. You might be able to go your whole life without knowingly experiencing the forces of evil as your enemy. But all of us will experience death. Death is unquestionably and universally recognized as humanity's biggest problems. In fact, many of our other enemies are our enemies because we're afraid that they will bring us to death. Death is such a ferocious enemy and it's such a scary enemy because death is the great equalizer. doesn't matter what your bank account looks like. doesn't matter how old you are. doesn't matter how often we go to the doctor. doesn't matter how often we work on our health. Death cannot be accurately predicted. We've all heard stories about the, the young marathon runner who was all about health and wellness and eating rights. And this marathon, young marathon runner dies unexpectedly. We've all heard stories like that. And on the flip side, we've all heard stories about the 105-year-old grandma who smokes a pack of cigarettes a day live in a long, long life. Death cannot be predicted. Now, don't go home and smoke a pack of cigarettes. Alright, that's not what I'm saying. That's not what I'm saying. Death is so scary, it cares nothing for bank accounts, it cares nothing for skin color, it cares nothing for age, it cares nothing for geography, it cares nothing for political system. We will all die. And we will see, we will all experience this, we will, we will see people that we love die. Not an uncontroversial, universal human experience. Death is coming. And He is our enemy. And for believers... For those of us who read the Word of God, for those of us who God has opened our minds to what His Word says, we understand that death even gets worse. That when we die, we will face judgment. And so if this is true, and it is, if this is true, and it is, if Anyone is coming to us sharing some philosophy for life, sharing some theology, sharing some big ideas, saying that they are a leader that we should follow. If they are coming and sharing these things with us, our question is, how do you deal with death? If you can't answer death for me, I'm not interested. If your system, Mr. or Mrs., can't deal with death, why bother? Everything else might be a commercial break, might be a season of happiness, but at the end of the day, I need somebody to deal with death. And the good news is, on Christmas morning, we were introduced to a man who has an answer for death. 
On Christmas morning, we're introduced to the person of Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, who is the only person who has ever lived that has an answer to life and death. This man, Jesus Christ, is our only hope in life and death, and he is trustworthy. And that is the point of this passage that we're going to read together. If you have your Bibles, again, we're going to be in Mark. Mark chapter 5, I don't think I told you that earlier. Mark chapter 5, that's big number 5. We're going to start in little number 21. Mark chapter 5, little number 21. We're going to read together. I'm going to read out loud while you read silently, and then we're going to discuss what this means, and then we're going to apply it to our life. The Word of God goes like this. And when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered around Him. And He was beside the sea. Then came out of the rulers of the synagogue Jairus by name. And seeing Him, Jairus, He fell at Jesus' feet and implored Him earnestly, saying, My little daughter, is at the point of death. Come, lay your hands on her so that she might be made well and live. And he, Jesus, went with him. And a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years and who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. She had had heard reports about Jesus and came up behind Him in the crowd and, and touched His garment. For she said, if I touch even His garments, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in Himself that power had gone out from Him, immediately turned around in the crowd and said, Who touched touched My garments? And His disciples said to Him, you, You see the crowd pressing around you, and yet you say, Who touched Me? And He looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. While he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house someone who said, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, Do not fear, only believe. And he allowed no one to follow him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. They came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue and Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. And when he had entered, he said to them, why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. But he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was. Taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha kumi, which means, little girl, 
I say to you, rise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking, for she was 12 years of age, and they were immediately overcome with amazement. And he strictly charged them that no one should know this and told them to give her something to eat. What an incredible passage. Uh, We have seen some exciting passages in Mark. This one maybe takes the cake. What an incredible passage. Let's talk about what's going on. So Jesus and His disciples have been ping-ponging around the Sea of Galilee. They've left giant crowds on the western Jewish side. And they have come, experienced a storm, got them off course. They made landfall near some tombs and a town. A demon-possessed man comes to see Jesus in this Gentile world. Jesus casts the demon army out of the man and into some pigs. The pigs run down the hill, kill themselves in the lake. The Gentiles come to Jesus and what do they say? They don't say, you must be from God. May we follow you. They don't say that. What do they say? Please get out of here. So Jesus and his disciples get back in the boat. They go across, back across the Sea of Galilee to the Jewish side. And what do they find there? The crowds are still coming for Jesus. They want to be near Jesus. They, but, but what we know is these crowds, by and large, are following Jesus for the wrong reasons. They're following Jesus for His power. They want to see what He's doing. They're following Jesus, many of them, because they want to make Him King of Israel to kick those Romans out. They're coming to Jesus just for His physical healings. But they were rejecting His message to repent and believe for their spiritual healing. So Jesus meets this crowd again. They're waiting for Him. They hear He's he's back. and So they gather together and then something amazing happens. A man named Jairus who was a religious leader falls on his face before Jesus. That's incredible. That's crazy. Because up to this point in Mark, we have experienced the religious leaders and the religious leaders have called Jesus demon-possessed. You remember? So this ruler of the synagogue, the man who, who's in charge of the building of the synagogue, taking care of the synagogue, the man who's in charge of putting together the, the services of the synagogue, a high-ranking, wealthy, prominent member of society is absolutely desperate. As a father of little girls, I can't imagine a more desperate situation than for my daughter to lay dying. And so this man, showing his desperation in front of the whole crowd that probably pays his bills, that probably supports him financially, that probably goes to his synagogue, that have probably heard other religious leaders calling Jesus evil. All these things are happening, and yet Jairus sees Jesus as his only hope. And through his faith, he falls at at Jesus' feet in a sign of ultimate humility. He says, please, Save my little girl. 
How often is it that our desperation brings us to Jesus? His young daughter is at the point of death. Young daughter there is a category of woman. Okay, you got baby, you got toddler, you got all. Young daughter is a very specific category between the ages of, age of 12 and 12 and a half. Those six month period, you are called a young daughter. And it's a significant point in the young, young woman's life because she is getting ready to be married. She is be entering into marriage age in that culture. So they were probably preparing this this young lady for her life ahead. They're making preparations for her wedding. Perhaps they, are, they know who the groom is going to be. Perhaps all these things are falling into place for this young woman. And it's a joyful time in a young daughter's life. And so it's doubly sad that instead of taking on this wonderful life that is in front of her, this young girl is instead laying, dying in a bed. And Jesus, in His compassion, and in His war against mankind's greatest enemies, Jesus is glad to go with this man who is filled with faith to save His daughter. And so as they go, as they travel to the man's home, the crowd is still thronging around Jesus. You can imagine people trying to touch Him, people trying to grab Him, people trying to implore Him to do things for them, people trying to, 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 to spectate an amazing thing. Do something amazing, Jesus. Show us what's going on. Jesus, come, kick these Romans out. You, got, you can only imagine the things that are happening in this crowd. It must be absolutely unbelievable. People jostling in and out to be near Jesus. And then we have, we're introduced to this woman who has been bleeding for 12 years. Continual flow of blood. It's not possible for us to know exactly what's going on, but we can imagine what's happening. And we can imagine the incredible physical, emotional, and social burden of bleeding nonstop for 12 years. Life expectancy as it was 2,000 years ago, that probably means this woman for her entire adult life has been bleeding in this way. To make matters worse, we find out that this woman has spent all her money on doctors who couldn't heal her and in fact made the condition worse. This is a theme in, in this section of Mark, isn't it? We're in the boat. The storm is coming. The experts can't save them. The sailors can't save them. We find the demon-possessed man, the crowd can't bind him with rope, can't chain him up. But Jesus can't. The doctors can't save her. Jesus can. The sailors can't calm the storm. Jesus can. Her condition would put her in a constant state of ceremonial uncleanliness. Before you enter the temple, you have to wash a certain way. And if you are bleeding, you cannot enter the temple. 
Her Jewish community would avoid her at all costs so, they, so as to not be near her or touch her and making themselves unclean. By the community's standards, she should not even be in this crowd. She would have been shunned by the community who probably believed falsely that disease and illness always is a punishment from God for a particular sin. So she would have grown up in this community that said, you got that disease? You did something secret that you know I'm going to tell everybody and God's punishing you for that. Is that true? Is that always the case? No, that's rarely the case. Can you imagine the mental state, the spiritual state, the physical state of this woman? And this woman had heard about Jesus, about the things that He was teaching, about His miraculous works that are displaying that He is from God. He's doing things that only God can do. He calms the storm by what? Peace be still. He doesn't say, oh God, please calm the storm. He doesn't have to do that. Why? Because He is God. He casts out the demon by not saying, oh God, please would You do this for us? No. He casts out the demon by saying, get out of Him. It's His own Word. She's hearing all these things about Jesus And she has placed her faith that in Jesus that He could heal her. There's something about her faith that is different from the crowd's faith. That is good. That's good. But her faith is tainted by a quasi-magical notion that power from a holy man is transformed to His clothes. So her faith in Jesus is good, and as we will see, it is saving faith, but it is incomplete faith. She thinks that she could touch His clothes and He won't know. And she can receive some of that power. She was expecting this holy man to heal her, not by His will, but by these magical rules she is playing with. This highlights the problem with this crowd's relationship with Jesus. They don't understand that Jesus has come for a relationship with sinners. To be with sinners. To be the King of sinners. To be the Lord of sinners. To be the Savior of sinners. To be with sinners. This crowd believes that Jesus is a tool for their physical, political needs and problems. And Jesus has tried to distance Himself from that notion. Because that notion, if you believe Jesus is here to fix your bank account, to take all your worries away, to, fi- to, to fix you physically, to do all those things, if that is your level of relationship with Jesus, He is just a tool for you that is not saving faith in Jesus. Jesus has come for so much more. He wants to heal you for eternity. Not for a few decades. Give Jesus your worries and your problems. Yes, absolutely. Yes and amen. But He wants everything else too. He wants your devotion. He wants your obedience. He wants your heart. He wants a relationship with you. He loves you. 
A tool doesn't love you. Your hammer doesn't love you. Jesus loves you. And even in this tainted faith, her faith, in her faith, she reached out and touched Jesus' clothes and she was immediately healed. Can you imagine that feeling? I saw a video that makes me cry every time. A collection of videos of people putting in hearing aids for the first time. Being able to hear. Have you seen some of these videos? And just, just they're overcome with emotion. That's what it's like seeing Jesus for the first time. Christian, that's what it's going to be like when you enter into the kingdom of heaven. All your sins, all your ills are going to be taken away and you're going to feel it happen. It's going to be a miraculous day. That's what she feels. And so Jesus, knowing what's going on, says, who touched my clothes? The disciples, as we've seen in Mark, are a bunch of guys with shoe-shaped uh, shoe mouths, aren't they? put their foot in their mouth all the time. They look at Jesus and go, Jesus, look at this crowd. And you ask us who touched you. Everybody's touching you. They haven't quite figured it out yet. Man, they make me feel like I belong with them, right? I've got guys like me. That's great. Jesus, as God in flesh, has His divine power. And the healing of this woman occurred through God's free and gracious decision to heal her. It was God's decision in response to her faith. Her healing, contrary to what she believed, her healing was not determined by an inanimate object. It was the decision of God to show His grace and mercy on this woman. In spite of the woman's faith being tinged with incorrect ideas, God honored her faith by healing her. And so Jesus stops the crowd, and we, we might want to say, why? Why does Jesus stop? Why, why doesn't He just move on? She's healed. She can go live her life, be healed, stop the bleeding, and she can go on. Well, to just move on would have left the woman healed, but with a probably damning idea that Jesus is magical and can be used in a superstitious way. To believe Jesus is just a tool. To move on would have left her physically healed, but not healed spiritually. Jesus has come for our eternity, not just our several decades on earth. To move on would miss an opportunity to show the crowd that Jesus came to grant salvation through faith for all who repent and believe. Period. He didn't come to kick the Romans out. He didn't come to be the best doctor on the planet, heal all of our ills. He has come to give us salvation. And Jesus gently and lovingly corrects her and explains the real miracle of her faith. He says, it wasn't my clothes. It was not your hand. It was my divine power in response to your faith that made you well. Daughter, your faith has made you well. Not my clothes. Not your hand. Not any magical, superstitious way. Your faith has made you well. Your faith in me 
has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. We're going to pick that up in a minute. Go and go back to that. So this delay though has caused the little girl's death. Friends of Jerry's come up and they tell him, hey, don't bother the teacher anymore. She's died. You see, even, even people who have heard Jesus do all these amazing things, heal the sick, they know that Jesus can't bring somebody back to life. Only God can do that. So, don't bother the teacher. And Jesus looks at Jairus, who at this point, can you imagine what's going on in his heart? Possibly anger? Why'd you take so long? Stop to heal this, this woman? Couldn't that have waited? Sorrow? Beyond belief? Jesus hears the friends, ignores the friends, looks at Jairus. Maybe he picks him up, holds onto his shoulder so that Jairus looks him in the eye and says, don't worry. Just believe. Don't fear. Don't fear the wind and the waves. I can buy into that. Don't fear the legion of demons. I can buy into that. Don't fear your disease. I can buy into that. But don't fear death. Don't worry about death. How can this be? Jesus is asking Jairus to display the most radical faith that we have seen yet. Jairus, have faith that Jesus can overcome death. So they, they come in and Jesus takes His inner three and, and they, they come into the house and preparations were already being made for her funeral in the climate and the conditions 2,000 years ago. you got to act fast. Dead body decomposes quickly. So they acted fast. They were already making arrangements for her funeral. One of the preparations that you make when someone dies, no matter how poor you are, you spend money on professional mourners. These are people who are paid to weep and wail at death. It was culturally necessary. You would be thought of as the worst husband ever no matter how poor you were if you did not pay somebody to come play music, sad music, scream and weep and wail for your wife. And Jairus was a rich man so we would imagine that he could afford a large number of musicians and mourners. And so Jesus enters into this area and He doesn't seem like a big fan of this sort of thing as you can imagine. He's not a big fan of paying someone to cry at a funeral. So he provokes these pros who profit on death. Why are you making up a commotion and weeping? Don't you know that she's just asleep? What do they do? These professionals who are around death all the time, they start laughing. Why? Because they know death when they see death. It also shows the hypocrisy in that institution of paid mourners. Go from wailing and crying one minute to laughing the next. 
So he kicks them out of the house, takes the inner three and the parents, and he goes to the little girl's dead body. He says, little girl, I say to you, arise. Upon Jesus' word, the corpse obeys. Her spirit obeys. The laws of life and death obey, and she comes back to life that very moment. The wind and the sea obeyed him. The army of demons obeyed him. The woman's body and disease obeyed him. The corpse, life, and death itself obeyed the words of Jesus. And Jesus displayed for all people, for all times in this book of Mark, that He is our hope in life and death. Jesus is our only hope in life and death. Are you teaching your heart that? Are we a church that is teaching these things? I know, it's, I, I know, I know, it's not a popular thing to talk about death. There's happier things to talk about, preach about than death, preacher. We must prepare one another so that when death sneaks up on us, that we are prepared and we know, we know what the truth is. That even though death stalks us, Jesus is our hope. So what are we to learn? Jesus is our hope in life and death. Are we teaching this, parents, to our children? In our family Bible studies, we downloaded this app that we go through that has, has a has a, a truth about Jesus and about God and God's Word and Scripture that goes along with it and a song to learn. You know what? The first one, the foundational truth, the first truth that my little girls learned, what's our only hope in life and death? That we are not our own, but we belong to God. That's our only hope in life and death. Are we teaching that to our children? Jesus is our only hope in life and death because He is the slayer of death. We see that. Jesus raises the girl. Jesus raises Lazarus. My favorite little biblical trivia lately is this. When Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead, He calls him, Lazarus, come out! The question is, why did He have to put His name in there? The church has believed for 2,000 years he's called Lazarus, come out. He called him by name because if he just said come out, all the tombs of the world would have been emptied. Lazarus, come out. Jesus is called the way, the truth, and the life. He is the opposite of death. He is death's enemy. Jesus has come to bring eternal life. 
to those who repent and believe. For God so loved the world, He gave His one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him will not perish, but have eternal life. Jesus has come to slay death. The wages of of, of, of sin. Romans 6.23 The wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is what? Eternal life. Death and Jesus are opposites. And Jesus will slay death one day for His people. Corinthians 15, 1 Corinthians 15.25 says this, For Jesus must reign until He has put all His enemies under His feet, and the last enemy to be destroyed is death. Isaiah 25.8 He, Jesus, will swallow up death forever. Hosea 13.14 Where, O death, is your victory? You don't have one in Jesus. Where, O death, is your sting? You don't have one. For the people of God, death is not the final say. Jesus is our hope hope in life and death because He is the slayer of death. Jesus is our only hope in life and death because in His kingdom, there will be no storms, no demons, no sin, no sickness, and no death. Revelation 21 describes the kingdom of God Jesus is preparing for us. It says this, nothing unclean, nothing sinful will ever enter into the kingdom of God. Nor anyone who practices an abomination or a lie, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. There will be no evil. There will be no sin. He will slay them for us. In the kingdom of God, there will be no death, no pain, no suffering. Jesus will wipe away every tear from our eyes and there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. And there will be no dangers from the world. The sea was a scary place for Israel. That's where they thought the demons were. Remember how the demons went into the sea? Remember that? Playing off of that cultural understanding that's incorrect, but that cultural understanding, the sea was a scary place. And so in this new kingdom that Jesus is bringing us into, He says this in Revelation 21.1, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. Jesus is slaying death for us. Jesus' kingdom will never have death once we enter into it. But what do we do now? What do we do in the meantime? Even while we wait for these things to come to pass, Jesus is our hope in death. When we suffer, when we face death, until that time, we must understand three things. First, first, we must understand that we should expect suffering and trials. Run quickly, swiftly, forcefully, violently away from anyone who will tell you that God wants you to have a perfectly smooth life 
1 Peter 4.12 says this, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange was happening. But rather rejoice as you share in Christ's sufferings. What do we do as we wait for death's final death blow? We expect suffering and trial on this side. Our promise is for the eternal destruction of sickness and death. Number two, what do we do as we wait? We understand and we believe that, that prayer is powerful and effective. James 5.16, the prayer of a righteous man has great power as it is working. As we face death, we do not face it without hope even in this life. We know that Jesus has healed people in this life, on this, in this world. We know that miracles have happened in this world, on this earth. And so we do not cease for, from praying for these things. God, We have a God who listens. We have a God, we have a Jesus who is compassionate. And we pray and pray hard. But ultimately, we know and we understand that no matter what happens, all things work together for the good of those who love God. Romans 8.28 All things. If we experience death now, God will turn even that for His glory and our eternal good. All things work together for the good of those who love God. If we are not healed, if our loved one is not healed, if we die, if they die, Jesus has something better in store. Tim Keller says it this way, God always answers your prayers in precisely the way you want them to be answered if you knew everything He knew. Let me say that one more time. God always answers your prayers in precisely the way you would want them to be answered if you knew everything He knew. And finally, It is only those who have faith in Jesus that will have victory over death. Jesus' message has been this the entire time. When He first shows up on the scene, we hear His sermons. His sermon is, repent and believe the good news of Jesus. Repent and have faith in the good news of Jesus. Repent and trust in the good news of Jesus. Jesus to Jairus when His daughter dies. Do not fear, only believe. Victory over death goes to those who believe in Jesus. To the woman who was healed. Daughter, your faith has made you well. Your faith. Victory over death comes to those who have faith in Jesus. The woman who thought she was healed by the touching of His cloak, Jesus said it was the grasp of your faith, not the grasp of your hand that has healed you. It has made you well, woman. And the word there for well, here and in 23 and in 28, that means to heal or to save. 
Mark is making a deliberate connection between their faith that has brought physical healing and their faith that has brought spiritual healing. Healings in Mark are a parable for spiritual healing. Your faith has made you physically well, but more importantly, woman, more importantly, Jarius, your faith has made you spiritually whole. It is not the grasp of your hand that makes you well. It is the grasp of your faith. Those who faith by faith grasp onto Jesus will have victory over death.